Again, we're dealing with lost tonight, dealing with the condition of lostness. And uh, oftentimes, again, as we said, we focus on the symptoms rather than the uh, condition. In Luke 19, uh, verse 10, there's a reference here. It talks about Jesus. and He says, for the Son of Man who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a mission statement. Jesus came to do what? Heal people. Do good works. Turn water into wine. Now, what did Jesus come to do? To seek and save that which was lost. Is he still doing that? Amen. Yes, he's still in the condition of that. You and I will never understand the task that God has called us to as parents and the things that we deal with every day until we understand what Jesus meant by those words. Because, see, that's part of what we're dealing with when we're dealing with parenting. Our children, they're not just disobedient. They're disobedient because they're lost. Our children do not just make foolish choices. They make foolish choices because they're lost. And you can take children out of there and put me and you in there along with it. Our children don't just have problems getting uh, get along with their siblings. They have trouble getting along with their siblings because they're lost. Children are not just lazy. They're not just disobedient. They're lost and disobedient because they're lost. They're lazy and disobedient because they're lost. Our children don't just resist authority. They resist authority because they're lost. Every issue we're dealing with results in something deeper that's got to be, uh, must be in our understanding and our focus. Lost can mean a variety of things. Lost can mean displaced. How many of you have lost your keys or your cell phone or something like that and you couldn't find it? How about today? I mean, I've had that, seems like every day I, I'm having troubles placing things. And a lot of times it's like in my pocket. The worst one I used to have was back when I wore glasses is they'd be on my head and I'd be looking and it's like you just forget, right? So lost could be something that's displaced. And the scriptures, lost also could mean something that's dead. It says we were lost and dead in our sins and trespasses. Something defeated, when you lose a game to your siblings, you get lost in whatever game it was, right? And lost could also mean confused. Everybody ever been lost and confused? Dazed and confused as well. Uh, so what we're going to do tonight, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, because Jesus talks about some parables about lost stuff. And he wants to talk, we want to talk about that to help get a sense of what the Bible means when it says lost. This is going to help provide clarity on the thoughts, desires, choices, words, and actions of our children. So let's look at Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read the first uh, half, maybe all of it, just depends. Let's get, in the, let's get it and see. Luke 15 verse 1 says this, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. I find that to be just interesting, too. They got as close as they could because they want to hear him. How often are we like that in our condition? Who do we get close to because we really want to hear what they have to say? Huh. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Let's, we'll go through this first, then we'll get down to the coin and the sun. So, Jesus tells them about this man who has lost a sheep. Where was the, uh, the ninety-nine at? Were they safe in the pen? Where does it say they're at? They're in the wilderness. 
So hold on. Now I have to stop then because I'm one of those people that compartmentalize things. I would be more concerned over the needs of the many than the one. But what does the shepherd do? He leaves and goes after. So when we're looking at children, right? Children, much like sheep, they need the wisdom, protection, and sustenance a shepherd can provide. That's why God does what with children? He places them in the watch care of parents because they need that. They're not ready at the age of three to make all the choices in their life for them. We should not be annoyed or angry when our children need to be supervised, when our children need to be cared for, when our children need to be sustained by us as parents. Why? It's your job. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's why you have them. Sheep need shepherding and children need parenting. That's why a gracious God places children in our care for a season. Make sure that we say that. For those that have young children, guess what? It's a season. It, it's, a, it's a quick season. Uh, another issue that sheep have, not only that they need a shepherd, sheep also tend to do what? Wander off, much like children. Sheep will look in and say, hold on, if, you ever, if you've ever had any kind of animals that grazed, they're much more concerned with what's on this side of the fence than the side of the fence that they're in. Right? You heard the grass is greener. Y'all guys are really killing me tonight. Y'all are not helping at all. Uh, sheep are easily distracted. They're easily seduced by grass on the other side of the fence, and they also tend to follow other sheep with no regard for where any of them are going. They're not concerned about it at all. Children, guess what? Are they prone to wander? Man, they're prone to just disappear. You turn around, and you look back, and they're like, well, where'd they go? I, I don't know. I remember we were at a museum in, somewhere in Kentucky. Where was we? And it was that one. He just disappeared. I mean, we looked, and I didn't know where he was. We couldn't find him. We completely panicked. We went in there, and he was in one of the exhibits playing in the sand. I was like, okay. But children are prone to wonder. They just disappear. They wander far away from the protection, the correction, the discipline of their parents. And they're easily influenced by other children and any other shiny objects that they come into contact with. Uh, oftentimes, they're not intentionally misbehaving. It's not like they're like, hold on. How can I drive mom and dad completely crazy? Now, as they get older... There is some of that with some of them, right? That does occur, but that's not the norm. That's more of an exception, right? So it's not oftentimes that they're trying to do that or being rebellious. They're being children. That's how God created them, right? They're children. And it, sometimes it can be, but uh, oftentimes their disobedience is a result of their lostness. That's where it all goes back to is lostness. One thing to note, when a sheep is wandered away, what's one thing that they don't do? Find their way back, right? When I was a kid, my dad got some cows. And within seven hours, they broke the fence down and were gone. And guess what we never, ever got? We never, ever got them back. You know what daddy eventually did? He's a craver. So can you, can you guess what he did? He shot and killed both of them. Yes, that's what he did. He killed them. We put them in the freezer. He was done with them. We got some more cows, right? Ain't going to have any more of this. Ah. So one of the issues that we run into is that children will wonder, and they have no way of finding themselves we cannot no i'm not sorry did you take that correlation did it go there okay i didn't think you could actually see into that i thought i had masked that pretty good but thanks matt appreciate that Woo. Uh, so we have to do what with our children when they wander we have to go and find them so this parable talks about this sh shepherd and he has one sheep and what does he do he goes and searches until he does what? He finds it. 
It's the utmost priority. Does he go and get something to eat before he goes and searches for this child or for this sheep? No. Does he do anything else? Does he go to the 99 and check on every one of them and say, okay, let me make sure all of y'all are right before I turn and go for this one that's lost, that's, that's uh, went away? The only remedy that we have when we're looking for lostness is Christ. Lostness pulls them away from the care and protection that God has designed for them. One of the issues that I see today is a lot of times parents resent children for being wandering, for going away, for doing all this, thinking that somehow they're doing that again to make you angry, to make you crazy. No, most of the time that is not. Now, occasionally, yes, but not often. Remember, again, it's a brief season that we've got the opportunity to tell, to show, to live out the principles of a gracious God in front of them. Oh, let's see, I've got a quote here. It says, uh, from uh, a commentary I read, it says, Many rabbis of that time believed that God received the sinner who came to him the right way. Jesus tells them what in this parable? No, it's not about you getting right. It's about God actively going out and seeking that which is lost. He does not grudgingly receive the lost, instead he searches after them. God is at more active. He's the one looking for the sinner. This whole seeker-sensitive thing we've got going on where people are looking for God, they're not looking for this God. They're looking for a God of their own making. So let's make sure we understand that. The next parable here, let's look at verse number 8. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hmm. In the parable of the lost coin, make sure we understand, this is not about a coin. This isn't about money. This isn't like, man, I need to make sure I've got, I've got a tenth of my money that's disappeared and I've got to go find it. No, no, no. This is not it. This is about the one who is searching. As soon as, again, she notes that the coin's uh, missing, what does she do? She stops and she does everything in her power to go and seek that which is lost. And this is a showcase, again, talking about God, who does what? He goes and seeks out what is missing. This parable highlights the compassion, the patience, and the grace that we are called to represent as God's ambassadors to our children. We want to celebrate every time they confess or choose to do what's right with patience, mercy, and grace. In a sense, uh, Spurgeon says, the lost belong to God whether they know it or not. The piece of silver was lost, but still claimed. Observe that the woman called the money my piece, which was lost. When she lost its possession, she did not lose her right to it. It did not become somebody else's when it slipped out of her hand and fell upon the floor. And another thing, uh, another commentary mentions, it says, one of the first things to arrest us powerfully is the worth of single souls. It was one sheep the shepherd went to find. It was for one coin the woman searched the house. Oftentimes we talk about the lost in this big, huge, we pray for the lost. But Jesus came to save that, seek and save that which was lost. And he's talking individually. And for us, we have to recognize that with our children. And we have to pray, seek, and present them to the, in the gospel and to the scriptures daily. Because Jesus is seeking to save them just as much as he's seeking to save us. Last parable talking about the parable of the lost son. And this is probably the more common one that we hear than the other two. Uh, then he said, this being Jesus, a certain man had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And, we'd have, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This parable tells of the propensity of a child to temptation. What was the son lacking? Okay, I was thinking more from a uh, physical need. What, you know, what was he lacking? When he was under his, let me ask the question. When he was under his father's house, what was he lacking? Nothing. Nothing, right? But he had this need all of a sudden that he sort of manufactured, right? The biggest thing he was missing was this magical thing called independence. Does anybody like to be independent? When you think of independence, what it comes to mind? <clears throat> July Fourth? No. When you think about being independent, what comes to mind? <coughs> Been able to make your own choices, make your own decisions. You're the captain of your boat, right? Now, the water you're not in control of that you're sailing on, but, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And this young man was willing to sacrifice everything else for that temptation to be his own man doing his own thing. Coupled with this temptation is the tendency towards self-deception. Has anybody ever been deceived about yourself none of you have man y'all are really quiet tonight this is going to be great for small groups i can't wait it's going to be awesome we all are self-deceived we all have blind spots this guy thought you know what i will go and i'll do whatever i want with all of my stuff and what happened he went to go do all that he wanted with all of really what his stuff but all of the stuff and then what happened life reality came into focus, right? All of a sudden, there is no provision from a father. There is no family. There's no structure. There's no protection. And all of a sudden, it says he began to be in want. Y'all ever been in want before? Actually, you could have said he was in need. Have you ever been in need? I think that'd be better for us living in America today. Have we ever really been in need? Most of us haven't. We've been in want. We stay in want 24 hours a day, seven days a week but we've never been in need. The son here tells himself that he deserves what he's owed and that he could handle it, and none of this was true. Children believe that they can do what they are not ready to do. We, we, can, we could talk about that for a while. 
Children are, believe that they can do what they're not ready to do. What lost children do not need is criticism. They don't need judgment. They don't need condemnation or punishment. They need authority. They need rules. They need enforcement. More than anything, they need compassion, understanding, patience, acceptance, forgiveness, and grace. Notice the father in this story. He never gives up hope. You know what else he doesn't do? He doesn't become bitter. He doesn't blame himself. How often have we blamed ourselves for something our children have done? Mm. And the most important thing is he never quit loving his son. He continually looked for that son to come back. He constantly chose to look for redemption versus revenge. And what a beautiful story of our Father in heaven who seeks after those who are lost and does not give up hope. This is where we should identify with our kids as we have had the same lost issue ourselves. But praise God, he gives more grace. We are confronted with the lostness of our children, know that rules themselves are not enough to bring about change, but we need the transforming grace of God. Another Spurgeon quote here on this thing. He did not go back to the citizen of that country and say, will you raise my wages? Hey, can you give me a little bit more so I can stay here? He didn't say that. He said he had parlayed everything that he had lost, but he gave his old master no notice. He cancels his, his indentures by running away. And he, Spurgeon says here, I would that sinners here would break their league with death and violate their covenant with hell by escaping for their lives to Jesus, who receives all such runaways. Mm, what a great picture that is. And another thing, just I read this too, I thought it's an interesting uh, point. He talks about being like one of his father's hired servants. These are the ones that were like day laborers that the father could say what? Hey, I'm done with you. Go away today. He wouldn't say and come back and be like one of the household uh, slaves. It was somebody that they had very little affiliation with. That's how desperate he was to come back to the father. Now here I also want us to look at two lies that children believe. When you hear the word autonomy, what does that mean to you? Nothing. Okay, so y'all have... Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Self-governing, okay. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. Autonomy sort of means that I can do whatever I want to, and it does, I don't really don't, nobody else's decisions really affect me, right? What's one of the things about uh, churches in the Southern Baptist Convention? We're uh, autonomous churches that we do sort of what we want to do to a certain degree. With no respect, there's no, like, board that tells us how we're supposed to do things. You can verify me. Am I right, Winston? Okay. I've seen you looking at me and nodding. I'm like, whoo. Uh, autonomy. I can choose to live my life however I want and what makes me happy, and no one should be able to tell me what to do. You ever tried to feed a toddler green peas? And they've got their mouth like this, and they're spitting it back. You know, you haven't had that issue. It was prunes, I guess, is the only one they've had, right? They have determined, even though they don't know anything about nutritional value, and that, you know, that they're not going to eat that. Um, there are resistance to obedience and being told what to do, what to eat, where to go, what to wear, all that other thing. You know what? We all have a tendency towards that. I don't like being told what to do. Uh, we have a major issue with authority, and we must not attempt to win each battle that we face in this war, but fight for the heart of the one behind the rebellion. Another lie that's in here is the lie of self-sufficiency. You ever heard of the whole saying, America's really big, a self-made man? Is there such a thing? I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm like, do what? Self-help books. People think, you know what? I'm sufficient in myself. I can do whatever I need to do. 
That's a lie as well. Your child thinks they have everything they need within them and do not need your help, your rescue, your instruction, your wisdom, your correction. You ever reach down to help them do something, they smack your hand with their little kid and you go, what in the world? Have you lost your mind? Do you know? No, they don't. They think they don't need you at all. What do we do as adults often? We do the same thing to somebody else who wants to help us. Mm. These lies are a delusion and they need to be addressed at the heart level. Some things lost children need. They need insight. They need help to understand the dangers around and within. Lost children need compassion, which is patience, <coughs> understanding, helping them to mature. Lost children need hope. They need encouragement to persevere and see a brighter future. <coughs> lost children need rescue from the danger within as much as without. That don't mean that they rescue them from every consequence that goes on. Mostly we're talking about lostness here. And then lost children, more than anything, they need wisdom, godly reverence and respect for his truth and counsel. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, and he calls us to love and to rescue our lost children. We need to choose grace, forgiveness, and pray that God will empower us and change our children as he is the only hope any of us have. So that's talking about lostness. Let's look at authority real quick, like about what took all my time doing that. <coughs> authority. When you think of authority, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of authority? Does everybody think police, government? What do y'all think of when you think about authority? Nothing. Okay, y'all aren't thinking about nothing tonight. That's great. Y'all have got no preconceived notions about anything, right? That's good. Okay, so uh, we need to make sure that when we're uh, doing... There's lots of authority in everybody's lives whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Most everybody has a boss, and if you work for yourself, who's your boss? Well, if you have nobody that you're working for, clients, people there, technically, you know, we all have somebody that we are, and at the end of the day, really, who is an authority? Everything that we're doing, we're supposed to do as under the Lord, right? So there's authority there, and we have issues sometimes. Children must learn early that they're born in a world of authority, and they are not the authority. Too often today, we see too many self-appointed little sovereigns. I wrote that down from the book. I thought that's pretty interesting. They think they're the sovereign God and everything revolves around them. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we treat them like that. Mm. Sin makes us want our own way to set our own rules, convinces us that we know better than anyone else. Sin causes me to do, uh, to want to do what I want to do, when and how I want to do it, and to resist being told what to do by anybody else. Sin really does insert me as the center of the universe and everything revolves around me. We can see this from an infant up to a graduate. The struggle of what to wear, what bedtime, what room condition, what food, where, where are they going, what are they doing? All of these are due to resentment and issues with authority. It's an eight within each person due to sin. Three types of control that we have to uh, live through. Are you going to be the type of a parent that has parent control? When children are little, guess what? You can do that. You can assert your authority over them by physical, by the way you speak, and they will command. You will. That will work for a season. And when it ends, it typically doesn't end that well. So we can have that, but that's not the kind of control that we need. Right? A lot of people, especially as we get older, we think self-control. I can control everything that I'm, that's going on in this body and in this mind. I hate to tell you all this if y'all are still uh, dealing with that. You cannot. Now, is it good to have self-control? I think that's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Yeah, but it's not talking about how you can control yourself. No. We need to have God control. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says this, For the love of Christ compels us, 
because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul here is talking again to the church at Corinth, and he exposes this authority issue by telling the Christian that we no longer live for yourself anymore. That's gone. But we live for Christ because of his death and resurrection. Uh, and in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, I know uh, this is some uh, verses I actually taught up to about 3. I didn't do that as much with the father thing to my kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Most of us stop there, but we need to include the next one. And you fathers, <coughs> specifically, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Is it a good thing to teach your children to obey your parents in the Lord? Why is it important to have in the Lord in that verse? Yes, we're, we're, we're actually ambassadors, right? God's put us here to be in a, a season for these children. We don't own them. We're not the authority over them. God's the authority over them. And if we're not careful, we sort of like to usurp that authority a little bit to where we think we're the one there. We're actually the one. No, that's not how it works. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So that means, you know, if you don't obey your parents, you're going to die early, right? No, that's not quite what that means. But it's saying general principle, they won't kill you potentially, going back to that as you get older, right? And then I think the key here is fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. There's an issue with men provoking their children. There's an issue with men provoking people in general. Why do you think it's put here to fathers to not provoke their children? I can wait and we can do this small group if none of y'all really want to do it. And, and Brian can ask that question if you need me to. I think it's a particular Thank you. challenge to mm. us. You know, we need to be specifically told. Mm. He's pointing that out because we have a tendency as men to want our way. We have a tendency to exert some dominion in the wrong potential areas about what we want versus what God wants. And we have to make sure that we're not provoking our children to wrath because what happens when you provoke a child to anger? Do you get anything? Do you get anywhere? What happens, what happens Kevin, when you make Miss Nikki so mad she won't hardly look at you? Do you get any of them biscuits and uh, you know, Baptist chicken? Nope. Mm -mm. You're on the back porch, right? We've got to be careful provoking others, right? We want to do what? It says to bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Authority work is grace work. We have no authority as parents. We're ambassadors of Christ to our children. We've not been given the right and power to exercise authority in any way that we want as parents. The authority we have is ambassadorial authority where we represent God to our children and act on His authority in His manner. And a couple things here. Attitude, actions, authority. They need to go together. Exercising ambassador, ambassadorial. That's a hard word, hard word. Ambassadorial authority is doing gospel work. It's something that we have to be working on daily. Helping my children to understand why they do what they do is gospel work. Establishing authority early in little things is doing gospel work. Exercising consistent authority is gospel work. Talking about the cross of Jesus Christ is gospel work. So all of these things tie into authority and ensuring that we're making sure that we line up under the authority of God and not my 
authority that I've somehow grabbed from God. So now we're at perfect timing, just about 7.35. Any questions or comments on lost or authority here before we break up into small groups? So consider this week, what's lost? Who's lost? What are you doing to find it? To find that child's heart. Not to correct their symptom, but to look at the condition of their heart. And in fact, let's, let's make sure we ask ourselves, before we can do this effectively with our kids, what's the condition of our hearts? Are we dealing with this correctly? Is God, are we in a correct alignment with God, with our, with our spouse? Because you're not going to be in correct alignment with a child if you're not in correct alignment here. So let's pray and we'll break up into some small groups and talk through this tonight. Father, we want to come to you tonight again grateful that, uh, God, we've all been born into sin, but God, you didn't leave us there. God, you made a way where there was no way, God. You sent your son, God, to die and take our place on the cross. God, and when we repent and we believe, God, we're saved. And God, what a, a miraculous thing it is to think about that. And Lord, when we look at other people, when we look at our kids, oftentimes, all we see is those symptoms. We don't really look down and see the condition that goes behind it. God, when we look out at a world that just seems to be raging out of control, God, sometimes we look at other people, other cultures, other things, and we want to blame them for certain things, God, instead of looking at the condition of other people's hearts. Lord, people are lost. They're without hope. They're without a Savior. And God, our job, our uh, mission statement is to point others towards Christ, to tell people about the loving kindness found in Christ Jesus. So God, as we deal with our children, as we deal with others, God, help us to make sure that we're looking at the heart and not that hard shell exterior so often. And God, as we move into small groups and as we talk, I pray, Lord, that we would uh, have a chance to speak, that we would ask questions, we would talk through uh, the scriptures that we've talked about tonight. God, it would really be a moment and a time, God, where we can really take some uh, time and understand, to hear from others' perspectives, Lord, to see what your, your, your word has to offer. And then I pray, God, that uh, when it says something to us and it doesn't line up in our life, God, I pray we would repent and we would do what the scripture says, we would obey in faith. So God, thank you for all that you've said, all that you've done tonight. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.